Welcome to the best podcast available, Training Camp Edition. Here are your hosts, Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble, and Nick Shook. And we welcome you in to Berea and the Dog Bowl. It's a Friday, August 2nd, 2019, day 8 of the 2019 Browns Training Camp. Jason Gibbs, Andrew Gribble, and Nick Shook coming up on the program today. We spent a lot of time talking training camp. This today, we'll go a little shorter on the training camp talk because Phil Dawson will join us in studio, and we could not be more excited. Phil Dawson announcing his retirement today, signing a one-day contract as a member of the Cleveland Browns, one of the more celebrated Cleveland Browns since 1999. A fantastic retirement ceremony went out the way that he would have wanted to go out, and we're looking forward to having him in studio coming up in just a little bit. But a quick takeaway from each of you on what you heard today from Phil Dawson. No, I mean, he just hit all the right notes. And I think it's one of those things where you, you go into a retirement uh, press conference, not really known to ex- what to expect, but just like Joe Thomas's in, in very different fashion, it came in as prepared as he always was for his kicking. I mean, this is something he took. I think this meant a lot to him to retire as a Brown, maybe more so than some of these other one-day contracts you see around the league. Uh, and probably it was a decision he made back in his final days with the Browns that he was going to come back here and retire a Brown. And I think uh, really heartfelt and emotional uh, speech that he made. And uh, it's just uh, it's been kind of a, a good e- – the week isn't even over. We got tomorrow's Orange and Brown scrimmage, but a good end to a week that has been all about different generations uh, of alumni moments for the Browns. Yeah, I think it's really rare that that you span so many generations and and a large swath of Browns fans. You know, I, I feel like sometimes, and, and maybe this is because you and I, Andrew, are kind of from this generation that has not been able to enjoy success with this franchise. Unfortunately, both with the move and the struggles that came from being an expansion franchise, and and those kind of just you know having snowballed for quite some time, um, and and yet. I feel like this is the first time where we can kind of bring all those people together. And maybe some of the people from the younger generation get an education on the Browns' greats of the past because, believe it or not, folks, for the first time in my conscious football uh, watching life, the Browns are no longer a team that you sit back and, and get laughed at for being a fan of. People want to be a fan of the Cleveland Browns. I think this is a great way to really enter that season by honoring the past in every generation, and especially with Phil being you know, one of those best three players from the most recent uh, era of Browns football. So so a really nice thing, and especially really great for him to come back, especially since you know when he left, it wasn't on the best term. So you know, he, he mentioned, too, hey, you know, when I left, I had Browns fans supporting me. You know, when I was with the 49ers, which is, is special, and, and I'm, I'm glad he uh, got to reconnect with with those people. Well, here. and just you know, him him saying, "There's nowhere else that I've felt the way I did and was treated the way I was like Cleveland." And he spent four years in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like he was in two other cities for a cup of coffee. I mean, he he spent some substantial time, and nothing like this place. And it's just. You see guys like him, and you see guys like Joe Thomas, and you're like, man, if you just, if we just could have done something for you, uh, for everything that you did for us, right? It just, it, it's one of those big, big what ifs uh, that uh, it's not necessarily going to haunt anybody. It's just a part of our history. Fans are going to love you when, uh, at one point in your career, you are the most accurate active kicker in the NFL. I mean, and that's who he was when when this team struggled to get the ball in the end zone time and time again. Phil Dawson was always there. 
to make sure that three points or an extra point when they did get in the end zone was on the board. I mean, he was as automatic and as consistent as they came. And fans really appreciated that because as many faces and names changed and, and, and guys came in and out of the door, Phil was always there. And he was, he was committed to a team that not a lot of people maybe desired at the time. And, and they respect him and appreciate him for that. Gribs, a real quick takeaway from each one of you, and then we'll get into a little bit more of training camp today uh, after, we, uh, after we're joined by Phil Dawson. Take away from camp you're talking about? Take away from camp. Well, uh, Phil Dawson was there, and he got to see, I think, uh, the best play I've seen in camp so far, and that was Mac Wilson making a diving interception uh, near the end of practice during, I don't know what the situation was at that time, but it put an abrupt halt to that second-team offense's drive, makes a diving interception that uh, even would have been impressive by a DB, gets right up and runs it back down the field. I mean, we've talked about this guy as being an athletic linebacker I think that was the he always had the traits didn't exactly have the experience you want to come out of college why he fell to the fifth round uh but that those are plays you make to to make an impression and I, I'm not saying that he's you know uh pushing Kirksey and Schobert for snaps just yet but it, it gives you some hope that you might have gotten another steal in the fifth round two years in a row at linebacker I thought the timing was really good personally I was staying on the sideline earlier in practice with Jim Donovan just kind of discussing some of the young guys in this roster and you know, he, he asked about Taki Taki and Wilson, and I said, well, I really love Taki. I think he's you know done a great job so far, and he's a vocal leader of that second-team defense. Wilson, I'm not so sure on yet. And then sure enough, 15 minutes later, he makes the best play of camp. And not only was the interception great, but getting up and then running it down the field for a pick six is, is really what topped it off, and I think put the exclamation point. And, I, you know, when I was talking to Jim about this, it was it's not that I'm not a fan of him. It's, it's I need him to show me something. He showed us something today. Yeah, no question about it. All right, we'll get a little more into today's training camp practice after we hear from Phil Dawson, but there were a lot of people here today. Brad Paisley was here, you know, just because Brad Paisley's a Browns fan. Yep. Yeah, but he, but, well, you know what? He might have been the opener for Phil Dawson for today. Yeah. It was. It was. He was out yeah. of camp, but then Phil Dawson had the main event here at the press conference. Brad today. Paisley, Kurt Warner, uh, Bernie Kosar, Josh Cribbs, a lot of great players the day, though, belonged to Phil Dawson, and we're honored to present to you our interview with the Browns kicking legend. I think it's safe to say that yeah, based on everything that he's accomplished. We hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with you here right after this interview. And here on the best podcast available, I'm Jason Gibbs. He's Nick Shook. He's Andrew Gribble, and he is Browns great and now retiree Phil Dawson. Congratulations, and we are honored. We, we, we normally do this podcast, as I mentioned to you, after training camp, and we're recapping training camp practices. And our, our good friend in the PR department, Dan Murphy, said, would you like Phil Dawson? I said, we don't have to talk one thing about a play that happened today on the football field. And, and we're happy to have you, and congratulations on, on a big day for you and your family. Well, I appreciate it. it is, uh, it's really special to be home, uh, getting to see a lot of familiar faces, some new faces, but uh, – we're all Browns, and uh, to, to reconnect with that is really special. It's wonderful to have you here and also to have you come back home. Um, I know personally as someone who grew up in the area and grew up as a Browns fan, really starting with the return of the team in 1999, you were the only kicker I knew as a, as a kid watching yeah. these, these teams. And, and for a long time, you know, in some of those lean years, you were everybody's favorite player. I mean, you were <laughs> the one extremely reliable guy who you knew. You didn't know if the offense was going to get in the end zone, but you knew if they didn't, Phil Dawson would be out there to put three on the board time and time again. So it's great to have you here. And we've talked about it. We talked about it yesterday. Since 1999, probably the three best Browns players 
are Joe Thomas, you, and Josh Cribbs. Yeah. And that's two special teamers yeah. on this. Josh and I were talking about it today. I saw him out on the field. And, uh, you know, going into a lot of games, the coaches were not all that bashful in saying, offense, just don't turn it over. Josh, get a big return. Phil, make the kick. And we'll add up enough of those and hopefully win if we play good defense. And that was the game plan going into games. And you know what? The games we won, they kind of went like that. Now, I'll ask you this. When you first got to Cleveland, when did you? When did it hit you right away that this was a different environment to kick in, specifically weather-wise, when you got down to the stadium? And, and do you think being in Cleveland kind of triggered your appreciation for knowing all this stuff with the weather and things like that? Well, I think I had to figure out the weather <laughs> to survive. Uh, and I got a lot of credit for – having it all down and and that felt good and obviously I put a wor- lot of work into that but you know my last season here I was still learning things mm. and so what I learned is you've got to be able to go with the flow as a kicker here uh, your technique and your fundamentals I call that the science of kicking that's your muscle memory you got to have that down pat but then you got to have some art you got to be able to just have some feel and some figure it outness because there's going to be conditions that you face here that your fundamentals and your muscle memory and all that you can throw it out the window. So I tried to you know through the years I learned how to implement some art or feel into my approach and that allowed me on those just extreme weather days to still get the ball through. Talking with Phil Dawson uh, who officially retired as a member of the Cleveland Browns and second in career points first most seasons with 100 or more points with six first most field goals in the in a career here most field goals in a season here is there a record that that really you kind of treasure when you go back and look at it they all they're all special uh to have any of them I mean I, I I literally I think one of the reasons I got along so well with Cleveland is the way Cleveland goes about their business and the way I tried to go about my business were very similar. I just considered myself a guy who got up in the morning, went and worked hard, and didn't really care about any acclaim or anything that went along with it. And when tough stuff happened, you just got up again, you went back to work, and you just that's what you do, and that's how you make a living, that's how you take care of your family. And, and uh, the people of Cleveland are the same hard-working, overcome-adversity kind of, kind of people, and so – to have that mindset and that approach, you just kind of wake up one day and you've been there a while and you don't really realize the things you did along the way. So now that I'm kind of in reflective mode, uh, no longer performance mode, when I hear some of these records uh, being read to me, it, it almost surprises me a little bit, but they all feel great. Freddie mentioned earlier today, to play 20 seasons, that takes intestinal fortitude to go <laughs> that, that far into your career. I'm just wondering, when did you know you maybe had the – we always talk about kickers, the right mental makeup. When did you know you had that, what it, what it takes? Man, I don't even know if I have an answer for that. I, I, uh, I knew that I had a God-given ability to kick a ball. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had the desire to be great. How that was all going to play out, you know, I, I didn't know. So I just went to work and tried to use the talents I'd been given and be the hardest working guy out there. And – I will say, though, and I've seen this a lot in, in one of my boys, Drew, uh, there's something, too, when the, when the stakes are highest. Some guys show up and others don't. It has nothing to do with their talent or their toughness or anything. It's just it's an innate quality that they have. I've watched my son Drew do it, 
And I, looking back, I, I think I recognized that early on as a kid, whether it was Little League baseball or playing basketball or even when my football career began. For whatever reason, whenever there was a big moment, uh, good things generally happened mm. for me. You talked about uh, in your speech today, you know, coming in and in, in putting in the work and making sure that you were prepared every Sunday. What, what went into that process for you? <laughs> Well, I, I mentioned uh, checking the weather forecast about 20 times a day every day. I mean, I literally would have the hourly forecast memorized going into a game uh, because that would affect not only my game plan personally, but uh, once I became a captain started handling coin flips, that would affect uh, the decision which end to defend. Uh, sometimes knowing that the wind was going to be switching, we could get the wind at our back both quarters of a half as opposed to just one. Uh, so that was that was the preparation side of it. The, the physical uh, preparation was intense, and I know that a lot of people chuckle at that. But if you ask any of my old teammates, they would they would back me up on that. I mean, uh, would lift six days a week, uh, masseuses twice a week in the training room, getting worked on almost every day, and then uh, at home it never left me. I mean, my wife deserves a medal because even though I was home, my mind didn't stray very far. From the task at hand that week there was film study i wanted to know everything about their field goal rush their kickoff return uh, and then i also studied the opponent's kickers to help our return guys i remember i'd sit down with josh say josh here's how he's going to kick it to you or when he does this expect this kind of ball and uh, to see josh take off the way he did as a returner really excited me about the influence or the role i could have not only by contributing in my own little way but also helping with understanding of other kickers. So there was there was a lot that went into every week, but uh, I loved every minute of it. You talked about kind of the importance of family a lot in your press conference. And I'm just I'm just wondering, as you went throughout your career, obviously in 99, much younger guy, and then when you get toward the end of your career, how, how different did that make just your whole daily routine and everything when you started as a young guy, about to start a family, and then now – in, at the end, you've got it, it was a, kids. It was a struggle at first. Just you know, all of a sudden, you have this little human being screaming and pooping his <laughs> pants in your house, and, and you, you don't know really how to handle that. But uh, I think it came along at the right time because I can remember being uh, two, three years into the career when Drew came along, and I was starting to feel the pressure pretty good. And uh, when I had a son, it uh, changed everything for me, mm -hmm. and it gave me a new why. And then as I had more children, and as my children started getting older, you know, I had kind of established myself in the league and maybe had worked through some of the stress. Uh, now the pressure of legacy started creeping into my mind, and the last thing I wanted to do on a Sunday is go out there and play terrible, and my kids have to deal with that at school. So there was kind of a series of, of moments along the way that, that my kids supported me without them even really even knowing it. Who was your roommate when you first came here? I had several. I mean, that that, uh, that 99 uh, season, there were so many transactions. I mean, it literally, I can remember being in the huddle for a kickoff. I'm like, who are you? I mean, I, I, I had no idea who these guys were. Uh, so that, you know, when Chris Palmer told me we're going to start out with you, my mindset was just so self-centered and on surviving. Uh, I did a very poor job that season of learning teammates' names, remembering things. I mean, I have very few memories of that season because I was literally just trying to survive. We talked – Britton Colquitt, yeah. you know, we talked to – you know, Dave Zastadil, your good yeah. friend. 
uh, they all have good stories about interactions because during the game, you know, you're, you're kind of off in your own little world. Yeah. And whether it's working on the kick in the kicking net, whatever, they all seem to have really good stories about de- dealing with some kind of fan interaction and, and whatnot. Is there is there anything that stands out to you? Is there a memory uh, yes. from uh, a fan? Old Mile High Stadium, the the bleachers would come. I mean, eye level to a player on the sideline, and they were. I mean, directly behind the bench. There was no room. So I'm in the net, and I'm warming up, and this guy's just letting me have it. I mean, he is tearing me apart. And I'm kind of used to that, especially as a young guy, not proven in the league. The fans would let me have it everywhere we'd go. But this one comment got me more than any other. And he leans over the edge of the chain link fence. He goes, hey, Dawson, slide a salad in there every now and then. (laughs) And it crushed me. I mean, you could have said, my mom's fat. You could have said whatever you wanted to say, and I would have been fine. Bring it on. But he said that, and I was a wreck the rest of the game, trying to suck my stomach in, stretch my shirt out. I mean, he got me good. He got me good. All right, so keeping in line with some of those memories, I think the two kicks that the fans want to know about maybe the most beyond that one in 99 in Pittsburgh was against Buffalo at the stadium and, and you, it's snowing so hard. You can't see the other side of the stadium and you come out and hit not one, but two incredible kicks. One that just dances in the air. I've never seen a football do what it did when you put it off the ground on that kick. What was it like preparing for that? Did you just say, here goes nothing? You know, what was it like? You know, I, uh, first of all, I was not prepared for that. I, I don't know how anyone could be. I mean, uh, I had always been one, however, that if it was raining outside, I was out kicking in it. If, if it was snowing outside, I was out doing it. If the team was, I can't tell you how many times the team would be practicing indoors and I was outdoors. I mean, I, it didn't matter. I, uh, so I did take pride in that. Uh, but I can, I can remember feeling no pressure that game. I mean, the, the conditions were so extreme, no one expected me to make them. So in a way, that was a blessing because it just kind of freed me up to go out there and let it rip. You know, sometimes when you go out in perfect conditions and it's a 35-yarder and everyone's, you know, going to get a beer because commercial break's about to come after the made field goal and everyone just expects you to make it, those are the ones that are hard to handle mentally. So I can just remember feeling relaxed and almost excited. kind of felt like playing in your front yard, you know, hey, buddy, run around the mailbox and I'll throw you the ball. That's what that day felt like. And uh, we got that first field goal opportunity early down on the dog pound end. That one was actually harder, I think, than the long one because uh, the wind was way more in my face. And uh, I just said, get it up. I kicked it outside the right upright knowing it would come back, and it came right back through and probably cleared by three yards. I mean, it was a 30, 35-yard kick, something like that. Mm-hmm. Would have been good from 37, and that's it. <laughs> uh, and then the other one, I'm, I'm convinced to this day because of – not being able to see the yard markers, there was so much snow on the field that that's the only reason we tried that long one. I don't think Romeo knew how far the field goal was because I once I figured it out, I'm jogging out on the field thinking this ball is going to land on the five-yard line. I mean, I, there's no way this ball is going in. So I just said, I'm going to kick it as hard as I can, and we'll see where it goes, and it, it went in. Off the crossbar, barely yeah. made it in. All right, what about another kick that uh, happened to go off a crossbar and a few other bars? <laughs> uh, probably a higher pressure kick on the road yes. in Baltimore, uh, one that was ruled first no good, and then after overturned. What was that like? Well, a little context on that one, uh, and it's a it's a bad memory for me. But the week prior, I had tried a fifty-three uh, yard game winner at Heinz Field, and I came up short. 
And so that entire week was awful. I feel like I let the entire city down. I questioned what's wrong with me. Uh, can I can I rise to the occasion if another one comes? And so now the very next week, here's a 51-yarder against another hated rival. Some here in Cleveland would argue more hated than Pittsburgh, if there is such a thing. And we needed the win desperately. And to, to kick it, it felt good coming off my foot. There's always a little right to left down in MT&T Bank Stadium. It curved a little more than I thought it would, hit the left upright, ricocheted off the stanchion, came back in. When I saw those referees signal no good, you can go back and watch the video. I literally bent over and grabbed my knees, and I thought I'm out of a job. No. Because I've lost two games, two weeks in a row, against the two <laughs> most hated rivals in all of football. You can't – no one can survive that. And it literally took my breath away. Wow. So as great a memory as it is now <laughs> that everything worked out, in the moment it was horrible. And that's eight years into a career at that yeah. point. But it goes back to that comment Coach Palmer gave me when I won the job, we're going to start out with you. And I think that just stuck with me my entire career, one one bad kick away from it all being over. You talked about the conditions being unique to M&T Bank Stadium. Was there one stadium or, or a few that had some really different kind of setups that you just knew from kicking there over time? The one I never figured out was Chicago. Uh, Chicago is Cleveland wind, but with a bad field. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's just it was very difficult to deal with. So many variables with the wind. See, I can handle wind if I got good footing because I will figure out where you have to kick the ball to make it. I don't care if I have to kick it sideways. I can do that. What I can't have is a very specific target i got to hit with an uncertain plant foot. Because then if your plant foot slides, now you have no idea where the ball's going. And sometimes those uprights, you, you have about a six-inch window to hit the ball to make the kick. If your plant foot slides, you're done. And that was always my struggle in Chicago. Uh, but generally speaking, the whole Great Lakes region is kind of the kicker's hell. <laughs> you know, if you go from Green Bay to Chicago, Cleveland, Buffalo, those are those are the hard ones. I was really surprised my first year in San Francisco, Old Candlestick Park was not easy at all. I mean, the, I was unfamiliar with the area, the marine layer, and how cold it can be there compared to 30 miles from there, the mm -hmm. microclimate. So that, that was extremely difficult as well. You talked about kind of the, the short leash that all kickers seemingly are on. What do you tell young kickers to not let that get in the back of their head? What's the best advice you give to those guys? You know, I, I uh, when I talked to the guys today, I, I said we need to try to remove as much head as possible. And the head game gets talked about more with kickers than any other position. And I've always kind of chuckled at that. Because, I mean, a, a corner needs confidence. A quarterback needs to know where he's going with the ball. Uh, can't be gun-shy when a pass rusher breaks. I mean, everyone needs to be mentally tough and have a, a strong mental game. But I, th I think the reason kickers get talked about the most when it comes to the mental game is no one understands the physical requirements of kicking a ball. So because there's no, hey, do this with your plant foot, your posture's a little off, whatever the technique may be, because no one knows that, they just automatically go to this mental, oh, you must be a head job, you can't handle the pressure, you choke, blah, 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 blah. So where I'm going with all this is I would tell young kickers, focus on the physical. Let's get as good as possible at the physical, and then let's hammer that with muscle memory. I mean, I, I told them today, build up your volume so you can kick, 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 and keep kicking because – that amount of volume, every good kick is 
one more good kick in your muscle memory, and now you can show up on game day when there is pressure, when there is stress. And let's be honest, that's a very difficult environment to focus in. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of times I couldn't focus. So all I did was put it on autopilot, and all that training I've done of the physical overrode whatever was going on in my mind. Whoever wins that job, how much time would you recommend they spend at the stadium per week? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, told, I told my boys today, we were driving down here from uh, downtown, and I said, guys, I've driven this highway back and forth in shoulder pads because I can remember uh, I'd come out for practice. It'd be a little special teams period early, and then we, I wouldn't have anything until the end of practice. So I would literally jump in a van, and we'd go down to the stadium and kick all practice in the stadium and then race back here to finish practice here. So uh, I just think it's like anything. The more you're there, the more comfortable you get with sight lines and just feeling it and understanding how the weather affects things. Uh, I would live down there. You seem like, and obviously 20 years of professional kicking would make you like this, but you seem like you're very much a technician. Have you ever considered, you know, maybe coaching or something like that in the future? Yeah, I have. Uh, You know, it's my experience. It's my expertise. uh, It's the relationships I have. I enjoy. I'm at a point now, uh, now that I'm officially retired, I'm trying to slowly let go of that competitor that I can do it better than you. So I think now I can turn the page and, and get excited about making someone else better. And uh, that's obviously the role of a coach. So we'll see what happens down the road. Do you have your boys kicking? No. 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 Who wants that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you never know. That? It worked out pretty no, well I'm for you. The quarterback. I want them to be a real player. So uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, they've surpassed their dad's athleticism already. We got to let you go. I know that uh, you've got a lot of more stops here to make in there here in the building. We appreciate the time. What's your message to Cleveland fan, especially as we get ready for a season that we all hope and think could be pretty special here? I would tell them you deserve it and to enjoy it. Uh, I wish I could have done it for them, uh, but I will be on Euclid Avenue with them when the Lombardi Trophy comes home. I I think – there's no better way to end no, up than no, that. No, I'm, I'm pleased. Yeah. Congratulations on a fantastic career. Thank, Thank you for you. all you did here. Thank uh, you. We we love you. I, yeah. We, all three of us are from here, born and bred, yeah. and we've watched you for many years. Yeah. And I think we were all a little angry when, unfortunately, you had to leave us. But that was out Me of too. our control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Congratulations and, and best wishes here. Thank you very much. Just an amazing interview with Phil Dawson. We appreciate his time. We know he's got a lot going on and they're moving him around to different places here within the building your greatest memory from phil dawson and his career gribs well i I remember where i was watching that 07 baltimore game i was in my living room at my parents house i believe i was back uh it was 07 i'm I'm right so i was i had just gotten back from an internship in alabama I was watching that game on TV in the living room, and I couldn't believe how it all unfolded, just the the whole process that it went through. And it was I, I, I want to say when they even showed it on TV, replay after replay, it didn't seem like the announcers were even sure that that was good. But then they finally found an angle where it, where it worked. Where it showed it. Yeah, I mean, I he brought it up. I had no memory of the week before. Absolutely no memory of the week before they missed a kick that week. Uh, but I just remember sitting in my living room. It was kind of getting toward dusk by the time that that game was yep. decided. Uh, just a, a, a an amazing thing. That, one of those things where in football you just it, they always say about baseball uh, you'll see something every every day that you've never seen before. That was something you truly never seen before. You know, it's funny because he, when he brought out that Pittsburgh game the week before, it was one of those "Oh, you're right" moments for me because I was so I was probably nearly as devastated as he was when he talked about 
grabbing his knees and realizing he, he probably just lost his job because the week before they had driven down the field and were this close to kicking that, that field goal and it came up short and it was a gut punch. And it was in a season that, that they had, you know, the hopes were high because they showed that they could score some points. And I remember watching those Ravens players come back on the field and they showed the tunnel shot in M&T Bank Stadium where they're strapping up their pads and pulling their jerseys back down and getting ready to go back out. And mind you, this is after field goals, not reviewable. Uh, the referees discussed for 10 minutes and then magically it was good without reviewing film. Weren't supposedly. they interviewing Matt Stover? Yeah. And was it Dawson that came over and said, hey, yes, we got overtime. We're going to overtime. We got overtime. Let's like, go. Oh. We're going to overtime. Isn't that it's a, it's a hilarious video? Absolutely wonderful after the moment. game, and 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 Phil and Matt are good friends, and Matt obviously was a Browns kicker uh, at one time. So, uh, it, it so many good things that he did. Like, okay, he missed a kick here, or there. He had two seasons where he had ninety three made ninety three percent of his kicks. I mean, he was as automatic as they came. Yeah, and, and the, I think that we talked about the Buffalo thing too. That, I walked in that stadium backwards that day because it was sleeting, snowing so hard that it stunk it hurt. to walk. You could not see the other side of that stadium. And that second kick that he talked about, the one where he thought it was going to land on the five, I'm telling you, I was sitting right there. I saw that ball come up, and, and it, it looked like it was a roller coaster. It went up and down, fluttered it left danced. and right. It danced. It danced in the air and then hit the crossbar and went in, and it was such a surreal environment for a football game. And to watch him hit those field goals – was just unbelievable, and I think that really personified his his entire career right there in that game. A guy who no one expects him to make the kick, and he goes out and makes him twice. I find it fascinating too, and he's right. It just goes to show you at that during that time period. I mean, oh seven was kind of an anomaly for us offensively. Yeah, it was. How bad the offense was that where he said. You know, I would talk with Cribs. He had to make plays. I had to make kicks. And if our defense held, then we were going to win. I mean, think about where that is to where we are this year oh, and yeah. what we're looking at potentially. And put put prime Phil Dawson on this team. How good? How much better do you feel about this year's team? <laughs> That's fun. I mean, I mean uh, does he even take? Does he even make a fifty? Have to kick a fifty-yard field goal? I mean, maybe once or twice because it still is the NFL. But but for the most part, no, we're inside fifty. I think we're inside fifty. Yeah. That makes you appreciate this, though. You know, as we go out there every day, and sometimes camp can kind of blend together, right? Yeah, well, we're seeing the same thing we saw the last few days. But that really makes you appreciate how far this team has come and and where it could potentially go when you're watching guys. Because, I mean, we haven't even talked about today, but Odell made a spectacular grab today, and and Jarvis Landry had another nice one. We talked about the Mack interception. I mean, these types of plays and these types of players were not here when Phil was here. And now that they are, we should all appreciate it and enjoy it for, for what it is. Yeah, I think we've earned that after 20 years of what so. we've had to yeah. I- endure here. All right, big takeaways from today. Obviously, we talked about Mac Wilson's interception, Odell with a, a great one-handed grab. He did miss one in the end zone, but after practice, he, he said, Baker put it in a good enough place, I should make that catch. But – uh, the offense looked pretty good, a pretty spirited practice today in preparation for tomorrow's scrimmage. Yeah, I liked what I saw from the offense. They they looked really good, especially during that one period where they seemed to be drilling like these little tiny screen passes or little dump passes to the running backs. Yeah. Those worked a bunch of times. Uh, makes you excited about what you can get from both Nick Chubb and Dontrell Hilliard in the passing game. Uh, I just thought the offense looked good, but it was it was good because – the offense moved the ball, but then the defense also created a lot of turnovers. We had Mac Wilson, and then you also had Philip Gaines get an interception, and the one that got the roster, the whole bench excited, Tiggy Sanko, 
got a pick uh, in the against the the fourth team offense, I believe. But I mean, Tiki Sanko's a guy that's from England, has been on this roster as kind of the the, the player exception in the international program. Has been here since the beginning of training camp last year. You don't hear his name much. Sometimes he's not even getting reps out there. But the players were truly pumped when he got a pick, and it was a great play. I mean, looked like a read the ball perfectly, made the play. It was kind of a fun moment practice. Another very physical practice. We had a a play come out to the sideline where I was standing at the time. Uh, I think it was Ernest Johnson had taken a handoff, gone off a excellent block by Kyle Kalis, which I'll get to kind of in a second because I think it it, ex- it was an example of an improvement. But he gets off this block, goes to the outside, bounces it out, kind of gets swarmed by three defenders, and then who is it? Andrew's favorite Bobcat, TJ Carey, oh, coming yeah. in and cleaning up the play, and not just cleaning it up to get him out of bounds, but going in shoulder first and really giving him a good pop. It's not something you see in a training camp practice every day, and it was an example of what we've seen here a lot. It's a very spirited, very physical play, living right up to uh, Freddie Kitchen's expectations. Uh, Money Mitch with a nice day. TJ Carey had a nice little practice. The secondary played pretty well today. Donnie Lewis Jr. Yeah. was back on the field. Really a little nice, sighting there. Nice pass breakup in the end zone. Very good. Yeah, not too shabby at all. And the defense finished the day with a victory. Yeah. Uh, stopping the team, the offense on the fourth and one, I think, in the two-minute drill. Yeah. So yeah. I want to give credit to them. We've talked a lot about the offense, but the defense did make some plays when it counted. Tomorrow, the orange and brown scrimmage goes to – we go to First Energy Stadium. At least 32,000 will be there. Uh, get a little game-like conditions in preparation for Thursday night's preseason game number one. What can we reasonably expect – tomorrow i mean yes it's a scrimmage but it could i mean a lot of this is going to be still practicing and getting in the work that they need to get in so that they're ready for september more so than i think this is it's all about the fans and i think this is just another opportunity to get this team in front of a lot of more eyeballs and i just think this is going to be kind of a snapshot into the excitement that really truly surrounds this team right now so it's going to be a, a matter of this team getting one day better practice uh, with a lot of 11 on 11 action, but ultimately it's going to be just uh, kind of the the drumbeat continues to build for this season, and this is going to be one of those where you're going to see the aerial shots, and it's going to be like this many Browns fans here for a scrimmage, and I think that that's that's going to be what what our takeaways from tomorrow. You know, I I think that a lot of these fans have not had an opportunity to come out here because of the uh, lack of availability of training camp tickets because of how fast they were scooped up by fans. And this is an excellent opportunity for them to get a peek at what we've been putting on our social channels, which is highlight plays. And, and it's not going to be every play, but you're going to get a glimpse of the many talented players on this team and, and what they could possibly do uh, within this offense and defense. And there's going to be a lot of move the ball periods, which is where we've seen the most action uh, on a daily basis in these in these practices. And We'll also get another look at the kickers and the punters as well. You know, you want to see a guy go boom a punt, come watch the Scottish Hammer tomorrow. I'm telling you what, it'll be a really, really good time. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Again, Dog Pound Drive opens at 1 o'clock. The practice starts at 4 o'clock, goes from 4 to 6. Come on down, go there, do a little pregame for the Indians, go to the Indians game at 7 o'clock, make it a full day. Tickets are only 5 bucks. All the proceeds benefit the Cleveland Browns Foundation. We hope to see all of you tomorrow at First Energy Stadium. We've had a lot of great podcasts through the first eight days. Jim Donovan, Nathan Zagura, Eric Cush, Browns linebacker coach Al Holcomb. Mike Prefer yesterday was fantastic. Phil Dawson, 
probably the latest and probably the best that we've done so far. We appreciate his time and wish him well in his retirement. If you want to listen to any of those podcasts, log on to clevelandbrons.com or wherever you go to get your podcasts. For Andrew Gribble, for Nick Shook, I'm Jason Gibbs. This is the best podcast available.